BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. My name is Jack Rico and welcome to episode 100 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. Can you believe that? 100 episodes. Many of you have been with me from the get through these 100 episodes. It's been about like a year and a half or so. Um, And for those of you newcomers that have never listened to the show, welcome. Thank you for downloading us. Thank you for streaming us. Um, I hope you like the show. We are a U.S. Latino podcast uh, that is devoted to covering American pop culture, but with a Hispanic twist. And um, and I got to be honest with you, committing to something for this length of time, that's not something anybody just does because of something called life. Um, and you have to carve out where there is no time to try and make it happen. So for me, this is a, a personal achievement uh, within the audio podcasting world. I'm very happy that I was able to deliver all these great episodes, each and every single one. I worked really hard to give you guys, and so I'm glad you're happy. I hope you're happy. I know I'm happy, and I hope I can continue for another 100 episodes. So let's quickly talk about who is on the show, because I'm very excited about this. I think this is a killer, killer show. Uh, And let me begin with probably the biggest guest I've had, and this is the way you celebrate 100 episodes, with probably the best director in Hollywood right now, who happens to be Mexican, Alfonso Cuaron. He just directed Roma, won two Golden Globes for that film, and most likely will be nominated for many, many Oscar awards, uh, and hopefully he wins the big prize of Best Picture, but we had him on the show. And we talked about the importance of returning to his Spanish language roots. It's something I've criticized about him and his friends, Guillermo and Alejandro, about for a while. Uh, We also talk about my favorite scene in Roma, because it reminds me so vividly of my childhood in Barranquilla, Colombia. Uh, (laughs) There were so many things that that I was like, wow, it feels like they just ripped it out of my memories. Um, So we'll talk about that and why critics love this movie so much and why it has the potential to win Best Picture at the Oscars. Then we talked to Nicole Acevedo. Uh, she's a Puerto Rican bilingual journalist at NBCNews.com. She wrote an article uh, about how Latin music albums are surpassing country music albums. It's been a huge 2018 for Latin music, but can it continue? Can it propel itself to stay here for the remainder of our generation? Or was 2018 a fluke? 
her and I talk about it. And then I talked with Manolo Caro. He's the director of a new movie called Perfectos Desconocidos. It's based on a uh, script about a dinner party that goes awry. And it's about social commentary. It's about technology. Him and I had a really good conversation about the industry, about Mexican cinema, uh, and comedy. All right. So I think I got a good show for you guys. I hope so. I'm excited to uh, share it. So let's start with Alfonso Cuadón. Hey, Jack, how are you doing? Alfonso, how are you? ¿Cómo estás? Muy bien. Tú comandas. Muy bien, muy bien. Aquí este, soy parte del BFCA and uh, we've showered you with uh, eight nominations, four specifically just for you. It'll be a historic night if you win all four awards, uh, which is very possible. But um, I'm really interested in knowing why Roma was so important for you to make. Uh you know, it's, I think it comes a moment in your life in which you, you want to understand who you are uh, from the standpoint of where you come from and, and where you come from in terms of your family, but also your own culture. So um, it was uh, also, I guess, a need to come with terms in not only about different thematic elements that are played in the film, but also my complicit in certain aspects, you know, like uh, uh, I think that the film deals with this perverse relationship between social class and, and ethnical background. And uh, it, I recognize myself and my family as, uh, as with an attitude of entitlement uh, mm-hmm. um, in, 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 that, in, that, in that relationship, you know? So it's, uh, it's as much as, uh, as trying to understand also about recognizing certain behaviors. Well, there was a lot of idiosyncrasies uh, that I went through as a Hispanic myself. My parents are from Colombia. And the scene with the guy in the car, the father trying to get into the garage, how many homes uh, was that the sight of every child that's lived a part of a middle-class American, South American family. Uh, and those moments were so vivid, and yeah, I can't believe yeah. that you nailed those so colorfully. And it was funny, but it was also nostalgic. It was incredible. Yeah, because I think it's, it's interesting you saying that in terms of uh, different, because I have heard that same comment from different uh, people that come from Latin America, different countries in Latin America, because I think we share something in common. That is this middle-class, that has a greater aspiration. You know, it's the big aspiration yes. of the big American car. A car that happens to be too big for their own home. <laughs> you know, it's... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is how critics have really loved the movie. Why do you think it's resonated with so many critics? Uh, it's something... I, you, now I'm starting to get in like kind of use and come to terms with it because uh, I fr- it frankly caught me by surprise because I was not expecting this. I was doing a film that was extremely personal and specific about some a, a woman in the context of a family, of a society in a particular time in history. 
And the way that people are embracing the film, and particularly critics, you know, is, uh, it's been very, very gratifying and very touching for me. Um, and I think it speaks about the human experience to be being one and the same. It speaks about uh, an embracement of diversity. I think we're li living at a time in which that diversity and the expression of those different voices of the, of that, that express diversity is so important. What we have are con cultural differences. Right. And cultural differences are the amazing colors that, that, uh, uh, that are this expression of these cultures. But uh, that's the only difference. The rest of it is the same. We share this exactly the same human experience. Well, thank you very much, Alfonso. Um, this movie for me, as a Latin American who um, was raised with images such as the ones in the movie, uh, were so precise that it, le it left me with the film as a part of my own human growth and to kind of see myself back. So thank you for making a movie like this because we needed to make, we needed to see you again do the personal movies, the ones that launched you into who you are today, the types of movies, but to keep those roots, I think it's important for a filmmaker and it's important for the full cycle of the way the critic sees you, to go from the beginning, but then end back to these types of films. So, uh, fantastic job, thank you. Muchas gracias. Hey, and before we head on to our next interview, it's time for a segment I like to call Jacked In. Let's begin with the top movie news of the week. Alfonso Cuaron's new film, Roma, won two Golden Globe Awards this past week and is nominated for eight Critics' Choice Movie Awards. Michael Peña joins Adam Devine in CBS's film's comedy Lexi. Venom sequel is in the works. Due to no host, Oscar telecast desperately trying to reunite the cast of The Avengers. In TV news, One Day at a Time Season 3 debuts Friday, February 8th with Gloria Estefan. Al Pacino set to join Jordan Peele's The Hunt TV show at Amazon. ABC Latino soap opera Grand Hotel from executive producer Eva Longoria will premiere Monday, June 17th at 10 p.m. Roku was playing with the idea of a digital TV rebundling where you pay one fee for Netflix, Amazon, and Hulu, and Taller del Consumidor from Consumer Reports debuts in Spanish on the Telemundo Network. Switching over to music, Latin albums are outselling country albums. Luis Fonsi will release new album Vida February 1st. J Balvin will be at Coachella this upcoming April. Bad Bunny's new album X100 Pre spends second week at number one on top Latin albums. And I might be late to this, but did you hear the bachata version of Ed Sheeran's Perfect? Here's a taste. Just kids when we fell in love, not knowing what it was. And in tech and social media news, Instagram now lets you regram your posts to multiple accounts. Twitter's rolling out speech bubbles to select users in the coming weeks. You can't delete Facebook on certain phones, and people are going ape shit. And a company in China has created the first ever foldable smartphone. <laughs> 
So I've told you guys before about this article that I read recently called More People in the U.S. Are Listening to Latin Music Albums Surpassing Country Albums. And I kept on thinking to myself, I know that we've been talking about this for years and when this moment should come. And finally, journalists are starting to write about it. Like Nicola Acevedo, who's a bilingual journalist and associate producer for NBCNews.com. She wrote this article and she's here with me now, Nicole. Eh, hola, ¿cómo estás? Feliz año. Oh, thank you. Feliz año to you, too. So I was reading this and I was really captivated because one of the things about this podcast is we've been talking for so long about the relationship between Latino pop culture and the yeah. mainstream at large. And when we say mainstream, what we're really saying is white, black, you know, Anglo, English speaking mainstream that excludes Spanish language from it. Tell me exactly what happened and how this happened. Well, I mean, I was, um, I've been literally obsessed with um, music just growing up in Puerto Rico. And I grew up in Puerto Rico at a time in which, for example, reggaeton started making its its mainstream, finding its way into mainstream within Puerto Rico and Latin America. Because it was, um, it was deemed an underground genre and you wouldn't hear it in the radio And, and, you know, I, I, I grew up in that scene and, and, and just with, with that background knowledge, then I've kind of always been looking at, at what are the latest developments in, in music. And what we've seen now is that, um, obviously this, this artist, um, are changing the way they are redefining mainstream Latin music. Now you think about the J Balvin's, the Nicky Jams and, and very the urban music scene that we saw kind of boom in Latin America and in Puerto Rico in the early 2000s, um, mid 2000s. Um, so I think that's really fascinating to see that, that there's, there is a Latin music boom that you know the numbers don't lie um in terms of streams and that it's being mainly driven by that yeah tell me about those so, numbers this was part of a newly released report from buzz angle which i had never heard of before yeah buzz angle is a data company that measures music consumption um people have heard before also of um sound scan which is mm -hmm. by nielsen and things like that but What I found really interesting about, and basically they, they measure physical album, um, physical album, um, by people buying physical albums and streams and all this stuff. The difference really is into how they make that equation. Like they add more weight to, um, uh, physical buying albums or streaming and which are the retailers that are involved in, in that equation. Um, So in the bus angle one, and also the release dates. So SoundScan releases the report in the middle of the year, so like around summer, and Buzz angle releases the report um, at the end of the year in December. Mm -hmm. um, so at least based on how Buzz angle counts their data, um, it was the first time that country that Latin music surpassed country music when it came to album sales. Not album sales, sorry, our album consumption because it includes sales and streaming and all this great. Okay, so so obviously there was there were, there have been two booms, two Latin music booms. One in the early 2000s with Ricky Martin, Jennifer Lopez, Enrique Iglesias. 
Uh, and now the one that we're experiencing now, back then there wasn't mm-hmm. Spotify, you know, no. uh, tabulating any of this. There, was, there wasn't even a YouTube that was measuring the video counts like with Despacito. And yeah, all this stuff. Right. You're totally right. Absolutely. And so you could almost argue that that era was much bigger because it had to almost be done manually uh, in terms yeah. of that virality success. Now, in this particular case, the fact that Latin music has surpassed country, because I don't want it to be necessarily misleading, and this is what I want to break down with you. Is yeah. this a blip on the radar? Is this an exception, the glitch in the matrix? Or is this something that you believe is going to continue to happen every single year? Because if that's the case, then why isn't the New York Times picking it up? I think that's the skepticism, the fact that it's not coming from from the big guys. But regardless of, you know, I think both Angle is, is tapping into this growing market. For example, we have been seeing an increase in Latin music consumption overall mainly driven by these um, streaming platforms, like you were saying, even since 2014 with um, Nicky Jam, who released his album Phoenix, Enrique Iglesias, who released a bunch of, of kind of bilingual tracks at the time. And then we had Despacito in 2017, which was like definitely a, a turning point in this whole equation. And I don't, it, I really don't think it's going to slow down on top of that, it's really interesting if you look at the demographics or of who are the people listening to this. That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. Is it exclusively Latinos or is it inclusive of whites and blacks and Asians? It is, but I think it's important to know that, the, for example, even if it was just Latino, let's say, right? It's, it's a population that is mainly young. Like a million Latinos are turning 18 every year for now on and a lot of these folks are in the digital space they mainly consume music in the streaming platforms no wonder why like the Osunas de la Vida and J Balvin and all these artists were one of them and Bad Bunny were one of the top streaming artists on YouTube and I think that's that's something that I haven't seen it kind of talked about a lot you mm. know how just the, the demographics um, the demographic shift that we're about to see in the coming years in this country, it's, it's being reflected in, in how music is being consumed and what's becoming more popular and what it's not. Let me ask you something. How do you define the term mainstream to you? Since I didn't, I, growing up in Puerto Rico, I think of mainstream like it, like it doesn't seem, it's not something like it's, completely relatable to me. I don't know if I'm explaining myself. Mm-hmm. Um, when people, artists like Ricky Martin and Shakira, who do a crossover into the U.S. market, the mainstream market, right? Um, which people think about in the U.S. context. Mm-hmm. Maybe they had to do songs in English or they had to do an album in English. I don't think that's the case anymore. Mm-hmm. I think that more, like for example, J Balvin, um, he ne- he kept doing his albums in Spanish and he made it into, quote unquote, the mainstream market in the U.S. And he didn't have to really do this this whole English album release or crossover, um, as some people in the industry call it. 
So I think that's, that's, for example, a big change that I think it's a big deal that we've seen that. And what do you attribute that that to? The fact that Latin artists right now don't feel like they're forced by the record labels and even the audience demands to sing in English but can continue to sing in Spanish. Uh, What do you attribute that success to? Is it changing uh, or open more open minds by whites and blacks to accept that music, to accept that language? Because it's a barrier maybe, at the end of the day. Yeah. I think maybe also I think that they have realized that they can try to make a maybe a beat that's more universal. Like, I remember growing up listening to music in English and not understanding every single word of it because <laughs> it wasn't my first language. But, you know, I kind of like that. I like the beat. I like how it made me feel, you know, you. And I think that you have this whole generation of artists that grew up with that experience and they're saying well right now i have an opportunity to do the same thing but the difference is now they have more options they're not completely like tied to having a record label say this this and that because let's say now they can post uh, music on soundcloud let's say a a digital platform or they can post they can create up an artist profile on spotify and then they can kind of have more agency and then show the people that make the big decisions that maybe they're different, the difference that they're bringing to the table might work. Um, so I think it's, it's those conversations and that, that kind of um, how the industry is working now that, that artists are slowly but surely kind of trying to figure out how to use those things in their favor. So when they do those things. You know, I think part of the challenges, and I think this is the thing that that I want to be able to tell, you know, our Hispanic audiences that listen to this podcast, which is, you know, the mainstream always used to be Univision, Telemundo, and people in Espanol. For Latinos, yeah. <laughs> for, for Latinos, for Spanish-speaking yeah. Latinos, you know, that was yeah. our universe. Um, and then if you were born here and your parents are Spanish speakers, but you're bilingual, right, like we are, there is that sense that there's something a little bit more exciting happening in the English language entertainment world. And I believe that that's because it's not homogenous. Mm-hmm. You know, it's blacks, Indians, um, Asians, it's whites, all mixing together, collaborating together to create uh, incredible music, also with the help of, 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 of Hispanics. But it almost feels like the Hispanic community has isolated itself in a bubble called Miami where everything happens and it's very exclusive or they exclude everybody. It almost seems like we create content for ourselves because we're so angry that (laughs) Anglos never accepted our culture. So we're going to create our own bubble and you're not invited. When we see articles like this, like we've conquered the mainstream or I always say, well, how much consistency has there been there? Mm-hmm. How many stadiums is J Balvin selling out by himself? How many stadiums is Nicky Jam selling out by himself? Which is very different than what Ricky Martin, Enrique, even Pitbull, uh, and Shakira have done globally. Mm-hmm. Like the day that, and I'm not talking about Madison Square Garden, I'm talking about Giant Stadium here in New York. The day that J Balvin goes in there, and sells out 60,000 to 100,000 seats, like Romeo Santos did at Yankee Stadium for three days, which he has not been able to achieve again. That's when I can then start saying, okay, we're not only Latino mainstream, we're like 
you know, U.S. mainstream, which like therefore, Riorio. which then for, which therefore then is becomes global mainstream. I think that we're achieving some great milestones, but I'm not ready to say that J Balvin is such a U.S. mainstream uh, commodity that he can sell out stadiums like that because I don't think that white or black U.S. Anglo English speaking audiences and artists uh, still are challenged by the language barrier, which makes it very difficult to learn the songs, to sing along with it. I remember Justin Bieber had so much trouble repeating the lyrics of Despacito because it was difficult for him. Oh my God, yeah. I mean, but props to Drake on Mia with Bad Bunny because his Spanish in that song was awesome <laughs> 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 just saying there there's possibilities out there <laughs> but also um a great a great i i think something that you know what we're seeing right now and it's what what people are starting to pick up i think of for example uh a piece that the new york times did like as a year ender in terms of music in 2018 and they mentioned, you know, the impact that artists like Cardi B had, or actually they also mentioned Bad Bunny. And and Cardi B, I think it's a great intersectionality. Yes. And this whole conversation, because she is, uh, you know, from the Bronx. She's half Dominican. Her other, um, she's also Trinidadian. And she's a Bronx girl. And she is navigating um, this space in in terms of music and what's more hip hop, um, but you know you have songs like I like it in which she kind of plays around with with her heritage and and I think that Camila Cabello that, with uh, that, with Havana same thing exactly and I think you know that's that's something that we're gonna see more that mm-hmm. maybe this this kind of division that we've seen like okay maybe. Um, the, the Latinos are here and the others are there. It's it's kind of I don't think the the more the newest consumers are necessarily gonna care as deeply as those divides in identity as much because a lot of them are intersectional. They have various identities. Like Cardi B is a black woman, the same way she's a Latina, the same way she's from the Bronx, the same way you, you know, like right. there's so many experiences, and I think that 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 is also valuable valuable and i think it's gonna change the way consumers decide what music they're gonna listen to and what artists and what artists end up rising to the top um so that's something to consider Mm -hmm. and in terms of latin music that this growth that has been happening um even though it's not at the level of of feeling all these stadiums that you just described earlier um, but I think it has the the growth that we've seen has happened pretty quickly, and if that continues, the the term like how fast it's happening, we might be having a different conversation soon, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> that could be true, and I hope I'm proven wrong. More people in the U.S. are listening to Latin music albums for passing country is the name of the article. Nicola Savedo is the author and journalist behind it for NBCNews.com. Nicole, thank you so much for being on the Highly Relevant Podcast. Of course, my pleasure.
And before we move on to our next interview with director Manolo Caro from the movie Perfectos Desconocidos, here's a 2019 movie preview that I did over at the Today Show. And here with the biggest movies, TV shows, and albums you can look forward to is showbizcafe.com editor-in-chief Jack, Jack Rico. Sounds exciting, Jack. Jack what's have, are we at an advance? Are we at the movies? <laughs> what, what should we see this okay. year? Okay, all right. So the first one is Captain Marvel. Mm. Uh, this is going to be coming out in March. Uh-huh. And essentially, uh, it's the first female-led Marvel superhero film. I can't believe Yeah, it's about time. DC already did Wonder Woman, uh, but this one stars Brie Larson, and uh, essentially, she is one of the most powerful superheroes in the universe. It's rounded off by an incredible cast. Why? What stars- can she do that nobody else can do? <laughs> Energy manipulation and absorption. <laughs> oh, all right. uh, great cast, Samuel L. Jackson, uh-huh. Annette Benning, and Jude Law are in this, and it's te- it takes place in the 1990s, so wait for those pop culture references about the 90s to start coming all right, out. Talk to us about the Lion King. So the Lion mm-hmm. King, uh, it's incredible about this film because uh, Aladdin, Dumbo, and the Lion King are coming out as live-action oh. remakes next year. And the reason probably this one is going to be the best one is for two reasons. One, it's intensely beloved by so right. many people. Sure. And it's also very commercially successful. Yeah. I mean, the Broadway version, you can't get a ticket for that. Mm-hmm. Still, after all these years. Uh, yeah. Oscar nominations. And the voice cast is just star-studded. It's Beyonce, uh-huh. Donald Glover, James Earl Jones, yep. John Oliver, Seth Rogen. And I think it's a money-making machine, these live-action remakes right. for Disney. Down- sure are. Downton Abbey, everyone's talking about that movie. Hello. <laughs> Love all right. Downton. So here's what you need to know. Number one, the whole cast is back. They already filmed uh, and wrapped up production. And then thirdly, it comes out September 20th of 2019. I was have to wait for that one. you got to have to wait for that one. So according to Alan uh, Re- Leach, uh, mm. he plays Tom Branson in the show. He said that it's essentially a continuation of their lives, but on a much more epic scale kind of fit for the TV screen. Okay. And you don't have to watch the show in order to enjoy the movie, which oh. I thought was key. The show is awesome. Yeah. So there's a Fast and the Furious kind of... Sequel? Spin-off. Spin-off. So it's Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Jason Statham are getting together, which are the two greatest action stars of their generation, to do this one movie, which is a spin-off. They've talked about a female spin-off with either Gal Gadot or Michelle Rodriguez, but this is the one we're getting. They're getting together, and they're trying to fight off a major threat in the form of Idris Elba. He's going to be the main villain here. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, that just screams out blockbuster summer movie. Of course. Perfectos Desconocidos is a Mexican movie that's coming out here January 11th, and it follows the plot of a dinner party that goes awry. Let's have a listen. Pongamos aquí nuestros celulares. Empezamos bien. Todo lo que llegue, mensajes, llamadas, Whatsapps. And to discuss the movie further is the director Manolo Caro. Manolo, thank you for coming on the Highly Relevant Podcast. Hola, muy bien, 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 feliz. So, Manolo, explain to me exactly how you came up with this idea. In a, in a world where so many cinematographers, directors, writers want to make a movie, you're making movies and they're not. <laughs> what is special about uh, this particular story that people got behind it, funded it, you got a crew, you got great actors, you got a good script out of it. What is it about this film in particular that, that, that people liked? I think that the, the most important is that we have a, an, inc- an amazing script. It's the, the, the idea is incredible. It's a very contemporary script about the technology 
They and have very good este, topics, no? Uh, something interesting I saw in the film is that, as you know, here in the United States, every time a Latino appears, most of the time that a Latino appears in uh, U.S. Hollywood films, they're playing the maid, they're playing the mechanic, they're playing the gang member. We're always seen in the most negative light that you can possibly get. Um, in your particular case, in Perfectos Desconocidos, uh, they seem rich. They seem wealthy Latinos in Mexico. Uh, they dress well. They speak well. They have great jobs, great careers. Uh, the house is beautiful. Uh, they're drinking expensive wine, liquor. Tell me a little bit about uh, how you portray Hispanics in your movies. Yeah, yeah, it's a different portrait, but it's este, equal of important. No, este, we we can. Latinos, we are este, more than only maids or immigrants, este, and we we have, este, of course, immigrants and mechanics. But we have, este, I don't know, teachers. Uh, we are part of the society of part of this world, and I don't want to uh, to believe in stereo stereotypes, no. Mm -hmm. uh, it's important to change our mind uh, and to understand that we can, este, in Mexico, makes a horror movie, este, more than uh, an Speedy Gonzalez movie, you know? Este, we can, este, have o others, este, yeah, others genres, no? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, recientemente, Gal García Bernal said in an interview that I had seen that Hollywood is not the ceiling. Hollywood no es el techo yeah. de las películas. And I thought that that was very interesting because I don't know if he misspoke or not and I wanted to kind of get your opinion on it. Uh, for me, it's, it's the industry that makes the most amount of money along with China. It's the one where the actors get the, pay, the paid most amount of money. It's the one that people most go see. So if you happen to be the industry or the company or the brand that has the most amount of audience and money, then you have to be the ceiling. But he was saying otherwise. In your opinion as a director, do you feel like Hollywood is the big leagues, is the one that you aspire to get at? Or are you happy creating happy. your movies in your own marketplace? I'm very happy creating my movies and my shows in Mexico because now the world is very small, no? For example, I I made the La Casa de las Flores for Netflix este, this summer and in three days I start to receive este, in social media message uh, este, from Europe, from este, Japan, in Portuguese, o sea, ahora, ahora no hay no hay fronteras para, para el mercado. Ahora right. hay buenas ideas y si uno tiene una buena idea, esta puede viajar inmediatamente alrededor del mundo en pocos segundos, en pocas horas. Right. Y, y, y eso se agradece. Claro, of course, that the US is an important market. Is is maybe is the most important market because the industry and Hollywood is here, but but we can make our own films in our countries and we can travel with this. That's amazing. Um, you know, recently um, I just interviewed Nicola Acevedo from NBCNews.com regarding an article she wrote where Latino music has surpassed country music in the United States. 
What do we need to do for Spanish language movies to be at the same level of Hollywood films? Uh, I think that is more about the stories that about the the language, no? Este, for example, this story, no? Perfectos desconocidos, perfect strangers. Este, maybe it travels more than an American movie in English because, and and not only my version, the the Italian version, the Spanish version, version, este, because. Now I repeat. Now I don't think that the audience wants to este, to believe only that the American movies or American music could be global. Now any country can have these box office hits around the world. Mariana Treviño, one of the actresses in your movie Perfectos Desconocidos, in an interview she said that comedy is a tool for criticism. Que la comedia es una herramienta para la crítica. Yeah. And I thought that that was a great quote. Uh, can you expound on that? What do you think she meant? And how did you use comedy effectively uh, to do social commentary or to do any type of social criticism in your film? Ah, aquí lo tengo, lo tengo claro. Y te la voy a contestar en español para hacer más. Sí, sí. Este, si tú te ríes de alguna situación es porque te ves reflejado en ella. No, na nadie, nadie se ríe de, de cosas que no le atañan. Entonces, para, para que tú este, rías o, o aplaudas una cosa en la comedia, tiene que haberte tocado o tienes que haberte visto reflejado. Y, este, y cuando eso to toma tintes este, políticos o sociales, la comedia termina siendo más efectiva, termina siendo más elocuente, termina siendo... Este, más crítica, como lo dice Mariana, y sé hacia dónde se refiere, y, y, y lo aplaudo. A mí me, me gusta pensar que la comedia es inteligente, que la comedia no es un género este, menor, ¿no? Como nos lo han hecho creer. Hacer reír es, es más complicado que hacer llorar, y hacer reír <risa> a base de, de temas este, que como sociedad se han quedado censurados sobre la mesa, me parece un agasajo y un privilegio. Manolo Caro is the director of Perfectos Desconocidos, which is out in theaters this January 11th. Manolo, thank you so much for being on the Highly Relevant Podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure. And can you believe that that's it for episode 100 of the Highly Relevant Podcast? I want to thank Alfonso Cuaron, Nicola Acevedo, and Manolo Caro for being on the show. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversations. And if you want to help and support the show, please go ahead and spread the word on social media with all of your friends. You can always reach me on Twitter at JackRicoOfficial and on Instagram at JackRico. Also remember to tune in this Saturday morning at 10.30 a.m. for a brand new show on Telemundo from Consumer Reports. It's called Taller del Consumidor. I host it and we do it in Spanish, guys. Check it out Saturday mornings at 10.30 a.m. I'm Jack Rico. See you next week on another episode of Highly Relevant. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. 
Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.